The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. There hasn't been any great advances in prison rape or space travel. The father of the barn and the holy toast. Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson. Our guest, Charlie Clawson, this week is Greg Barron. Yeah. Yeah. Guess I, Charlie. I'm, I'm totally guess Charlie. Yeah. I, do you miss Charlie? Of course I miss Charlie. I miss Charlie too, man. I miss Charlie also because we haven't really been talking. And I don't mean that in like a we haven't been talking way. You know, we have to sit down with Dr. Phil and get back, get the band back I'd together. I'd like to see you guys get back together in the room with a the therapist. Right. Metallica style? You should make your own we some kind of monster. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Charlie and I getting Couldn't the podcast back yeah, yeah. together. But Charlie's gotten really into selling art and he just isn't really practicing the drums at all. And you're like, right. I don't understand what's happening. And he's like, well, we didn't even play drums in the podcast. I, no. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that important all of a sudden? He, uh, no, I know. It's so funny because, you know, Dave and I came down, we did the Superpod, got super close to you guys, and then it was all, all of it was over. It was all over. Much so like quickly, Superpod itself. Yeah, Superpod yeah. ended, Charlie left the show, just like, you know, what we did, what, what happened was he caught a little bit of walking the room. Right. Yeah, just rubbed off. Or on him. you did actually. Oh, that's right. You did. He yeah. uh, he he moved on to he moved on to greener pastures. Right. You're still podcasting. I caught the disease, and he was the bit that fell off. <laughs> right. right. That's what happened. But he was saved. Right. He was saved. He's in a petri dish somewhere, doing just fine. Right. He's in Summer Bay. Mm-hmm. He um uh, yeah he is in like the most beautiful place on earth. I've, I've, I've now I've really because I've started watching his show Home and Away because you know if I'm in Australia and it's night time and I'm like oh I might see if I can see Charlie. Is that on five nights a week? Five nights a week. It's a soap. Seven yeah seven p.m. on Channel Seven, which is like the, the biggest network. In and Australia it's been around forever, and it's and it's twenty five years. Jesus. Unbelievable. I did three episodes as an extra, and I did make the Home and Away twenty five year booklet though. So. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's nice. Right. Yeah. Still stuck me in there. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Charlie messaged me that. He like sent me a, a photo from like the studio and he was flipping through the thing. He goes, you know you're in the fucking 25 years of Home and Away booklet. Really? Like, Holy yeah, shit. Cool. Maybe you'll go to their conventions. I went out with a girl last night. When I say I went out with a girl last night, I didn't go out with a girl last night. Did you not go out with a girl last night? Well, I was out and there was a girl there, but I we did that. not um, arrange that together. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, that's called a that's that, that's 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 called going to a. I mean, where, where was that? Where where did that happen? A restaurant. Uh huh. Yeah. So um, that's one, interesting. So you just happened to be at a restaurant. She just happened to be at a restaurant. No, there was a, a bunch of other people. Uh huh. Well, they are. That's what that, that's what restaurants are. Right. That's why they're called restaurants. <laughs> right. Otherwise, you were just in your kitchen. <laughs> That's what a restaurant is, buddy. Okay, that's a good point. So by the very definition, it was a restaurant. We just defined what a restaurant is. <laughs> Look, if you're confused about a restaurant, right. if you're eating somewhere and there's lots of other people there, chances are you're in a restaurant. Right. Chances are. Chances are. If, if someone is bringing food and you have to yeah. pay for it at the end. And if you've gone there and uh, and somebody from the opposite sex who you don't know super well sitting across from you, that's called a date. Right. 
But yeah. this wasn't what that this was. This wasn't a date. You were just hanging no, out. No, I was doing a show last night. I did a, the new show by uh, Troy Conrad, um, who people might know as the creator of uh, Setlist. The Setlist. The Setlist comedy yeah. show. Uh, he's got a new show, which is a, an improvised comedy show as well. And what is it, and what it's is called? It called Prompter. Uh-huh. And basically the conceit of this is that you are a character doing a, uh, like a TED talk. Oh, right. You know, right. So you don't know who your character is or what the TED talk is about until you walk on that stage. Sounds amazing. Then you take the character and then you read the auto cue of your speech, mm-hmm. and then the auto cue is on the like uh, the screen behind you as well, so the audience can see which bit is the auto cue. And then you know a paragraph and a half in, the auto cue stops. You know, and my expertise is in auto cue stops, and then you just have to keep talking as if it's the script of your oh, TED great. talk in character. And then, like, after, say, a minute of you oh, improvising, it goes back into the prompter, and you have to weave it back into oh, your it. speech. Terrifying. Like, absolutely terrifying to do. Much scarier harder. Than, scarier than the other one? Harder than set list. I think I would like that. I think I would prefer that one. Right. I haven't I, done any of them. Because what I've realized, Will, is that I actually, for the last 25 years, have just been giving a TED Talk. Right. <laughs> My stand-up is not actually stand-up. I've been giving a really long TED Talk. Right. Mildly amusing. Right. Certainly charming. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, if you were on the TED Talk circuit, <laughs> yeah. you would be the king. I would love to be on the TED Talk. I, w- I wish TED Talk, had st- if Ted, if there was TED Talks at the beginning of my yeah. career, I just would have given those. Right. I don't know what on, but I would have been... I think Mantastic, which was my first show, would have been a TED Talk. TED Talk. Yeah. Far more... The book was a TED Talk. Oh, the book was a... Yeah. The you book know what I mean? A, yeah, yeah. No, it was a complete TED Talk. Right. Yeah, I would give TED Talk. I love TED Talks. You, yeah. You know what? I've got a friend called Adam Spencer, a guy yeah. I did radio with in Australia yeah. for years. And he is a guy, really funny guy, like, you know, but his uh, background is mathematics. Like, he studied mathematics right. in university. Right. And then he fell into radio, and then he ended up having this career in sort of radio and entertainment, but... He's, it was a classic thing because when we did the radio show together, we uh, did a sort of farewell tour yeah. and we went around and did the, like these, um, oh my God, essentially what we did were podcasts because like because we didn't have an act or anything because we just did radio together, uh, but people really liked this show that we did. We did like a national tour and we just took suggestions in a bucket, like questions that people wanted to ask about the show or about yeah. us or whatever. And we sat on stage with a bucket full of beer and a bucket full of questions yeah. and did two-hour shows of like just, you know, mucking about and having fun. And they were great. Some of the best fun shows I've ever done. Can I tell you, one of the, one of the best things that we ever did, and, and you know, it's funny because I talk a lot of shit about my book and boo-hoo-hoo and I, how I didn't, it fucked up my comedy career and all that stuff. For a year, Liz and I, the co-author, would go into theaters and we would, in a comedic way, tell the history of the book how it came to fruition. It had sort of chunks of my stand-up in it yep. and, and her storytelling, which was great. And then we just took questions. And for an hour and a half, women would come to the mic in tears and it would be funny and uplifting and it would be, it was like really funny Oprah, like right. sad girls, but yep. then me and being able to swear and being open. And it was fucking, I think it was essentially what the talk show was supposed to be, but couldn't be because it was on daytime television and nobody wants to talk about dating every day. And you can't say those things that you probably said there because that's safe space. That's the ultimate safe space. It's safe space. That's exactly right. right. And because it was sort of like podcasting, it was like, we didn't know the, we didn't, eventually you start to, after you do enough of the shows, you sort of, you sort of know some of the questions and you've got whether you want them or not sort of prefabricated answers. Right. 
but you weren't being which, held which responsible. Which was, by the way, exactly the same with our tour. Like, it was one of those things where the first few nights we did, it was a completely improvised two-hour show. But right. by show three, right. some of the same themes come up and you've got a bit. When you're not entirely responsible to just be funny, you can be so much funnier. Right. Which because is what podcasting all, is. As right. Well. And that's why TED Talks are so yeah. amazing is because generally you're like, oh, this guy's going to tell me how to get my life together. Yeah. Or this guy's going to explain quantum physics. So if he stumbles into a joke or right. an anecdote, it's so much more profound because it's in the midst of a lecture. Right. On some level. I would love to. Ju- I wish that I was just giving TED Talks. Right. So, well, here's the thing. So my friend Adam. Right. And this is why I the mentioned. Ma- the, the math guy. The math guy. That does radio. So he is actually a really great live performer. And he was a world champion in fact, I think he might have won the world... Yeah, they have these sort of things. The world champion debating team. Like, literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, his college, like, he was the guy and he won best debater in the world or something. Oh, that's like, incredible. One of those things where you're like... You're the, like, that was, is not a guy you marry. Right. <laughs> he, <laughs> well, I will tell you a story. He picked up his uh, wife during a trivia quiz. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Of course he did. Yes, of course he did. So, um, but Adam is a really brilliant uh, performer. He was a really good uh, improviser. He um, And so these days, because he's been doing this quite serious radio show, he's become your sort of go-to, your MC or speaker at, you know, various functions around town. Sydney Swans are the uh, Sydney AFL team. He hosts all their functions. You know, he's a real go-to guy. But, I, but I've always kind of gone, you know, he, he would have also been a great, performer but he didn't want to be a stand-up you know he didn't want to have that life and do those sort of things he was great off the top of his head sure but he recently uh was flown to uh, to the states to the latest big ted talk they had over here and he did a ted talk about mathematics and because he is so funny and is able to like explain you know complex ideas in you know a, a way that people can understand apparently it was like you know, it was like a massive, massive hit at the latest TED Talks. And they're saying when they play it, they feel like he's literally going to blow up on the TED, t- TED Talk circuit. Like oh, my he's God. Gonna, you know, so is he, is he, is that on, is it on YouTube? It's not out yet. They're saving it. Because oh apparently God. they release them bit by bit, yeah. depending on when they. Uh, this is so gay, but every Sunday morning I wake up and watch one. And I don't even, it doesn't. I'm I just not pick... sure that you know what gay means. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's watching TED Talks on a Sunday morning, isn't it? No. Yeah, yeah. That's why those guys can get married. Right. No, no, no. You <laughs> completely. No, no, no. That's it, right? Right. No. It's okay. Did you think because the name of them was Ted, yeah. and you were a man, well, yeah, because I was in bed, you were doing... yeah, I'm in bed with Ted. Right. Right. That seems. Is right. that am I wrong? Am I getting it wrong? You are getting I... it wrong. I might need to. I might need to write a book for you. <laughs> it's. Bre- <laughs> You might need to come to a seminar on that. I, I mean, that's possible. You know, right. I uh, maybe I do have that wrong. Right. You know, Dave's always correcting me, so it's it's it's, it's, uh, it's not. Uh, yeah, but I I find them um, I find them more fun to, uh, to watch than stand up on some level. Only because I think you know after you've done stand up for a long time, unless somebody's really innovative or really just sort of in your zone, you kind of know what you're watching. Right. You know also, what I mean. And I don't mean this in a bad way, but I I think you know, stand up I enjoy watching live. You know, mm-hmm. because I think it's meant to be seen live. But yeah. there are times when, you know, if you step away from stand-up, you, you, you know, you're not always learning something new. Yep. Like a lot of us are talking about the same thing. That's true. Maybe in different ways. Yep. And the great thing about the TED Talks is, and I, I, I'm trying to do this a little bit more with my stand-up in general this year, right. is do more things. And expand my mind a little bit more. And right. find new... Because as you know, you can talk about anything. People you can. don't mind... 
In fact, they'd much prefer if you talked about something that was original and. You know. Oh, I think so. I, I think the I think and especially as you get older as a stand up, it's incumbent on you to become more personal, or people are just going to check out. Right. For the most part. And you've got to do stuff. So you, you mean have a life to talk about. about? Right. Yes. That's why marriage, and I mean this in all deference, is a real comedy killer because. Right. And family, because you are routine. If you if you aren't routine, you're gonna fuck it all up. You know what I mean? Like when you get in that, when you get locked into that thing, right. you have to be involved every day in the kids and every day. That's not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But what I'm saying is, like, well, Dave and I'll get together some days, and he'll yeah. like, what do you got? And I'm like, fucking nothing has happened. That is. It's all beautiful stuff. Right. But I don't know how to make True's dance rehearsal that great of a story, nor do I want to exploit it for some weird stand-up bit that I don't really have. I just went, it was great, I have nothing to say about it. Well, so that's, well, I, I completely understand that, because that's the thing is like, people always go, oh, he's got kids now, he's doing kids material. It's like, what the fuck else is he thinking about? There's nothing else. And if you don't talk about it, it's just going to kill you. Like, And everybody goes through it, and then eventually the kids get old enough that you sort of don't anymore, yeah. or, or you start heading back out into the world. You know, as my daughters have gotten older now, it's like suddenly like I'm playing more with the band and I can go on the road a little bit and I went and performed at a festival and I'm doing sort of things where it's it's less about, oh my God, we didn't sleep last night. You know, the, the um, uh, and it's hard. It's a, re- it's a really, like it really is like, you know, I, I mean, and this is again, I'm, I'm not advocating this, but there is something to the fact that L- Louis C.K.'s transcendence came on the heels of the upset of his marriage. Right. His investigating the agony that he was in, the confusion, the whatever it was he was going through with his wife, and the frustration of his children, all at once, in crescendoing in the fact that he is now divorced and single, and now he is single and having adventures, like dating and doing things where half of his time he's not with his kids and family, so he is doing whatever, and that does sort of make a difference. I mean, Greg Giraldo notoriously hated his marriage. You know, if you like your marriage, as I like mine. They're not a lot to talk about, but right. if you do, you know what I'm saying. I think they have added in a lot of the, the entertainment cities to the divorce statute. Uh, it's irreconcilable differences or uh-huh. uh, stagnant career. <laughs> <laughs> if your career isn't going well, I'm so sorry. I needed to flip the car. I just need a boost. I just yeah. need to reinvent myself a little. Oh God, no! It's so funny. <laughs> it's it's funny, but it's also like it's it's it just is a different. But I think stand-up's the only art that. That really, that really has. There's a direct correlation. I think you can still make. Plenty of people have been mar- married and made outstanding music. Right. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. stand-ups really thrive on drama. There's a drama in our lives that makes our stand-ups so much more. Most stand-ups m- mostly interesting. Right. There's also that thing of being a stand-up where I think that we do understand that the shittest things that happen to us will probably make the best. Stories. I mean, so like it's very hard, even when you're going through a really shit thing, to not be like, like you know, I, I had a, earlier this year I had a giant lump on the side of my neck, and there was part of me that was like really worried that I had a giant lump on the side of my neck, yeah, and another part of me that was like, I'm six weeks out from starting a new show, Fuck. if I can't get a chunk out of this lump, then Dude, I'm not doing my job properly. First off, when you and you think to yourself, lump chunk, I've got a lump chunk, I've got a lump chunk right here on the side of my neck. Cut this out, but don't take it all out because right. that's a chunk right there. No, <laughs> there, This is how pathetic being stand-up is. And by the way, I'm just outing myself as a pathetic person, uh, and I'm not outing marriage. And I'm not saying marriage is bad in any way. I'm just being, I'm just being candid about what I think is a part of the fuel of what we do because I've thought about it lately. But it's there are moments space, like right? as soon as I split my head open on the skateboard trying to teach my daughter how to to, to skateboard, yes. I went, well, there's, 
five minutes. Right. Like I went, oh, okay. You're like, lying there you're bleeding. Bleeding. Like and I'm like, minutes. oh my God, something something happened. Right. It's like a work day suddenly. I, yeah. I have a like, point of view. I have a point of view. You literally have you've done half a day's work. Yeah. We go to the hospital. Hang on. I got to right. get a pen. I, get I need to make some notes. The... I know. And I just write in my own blood. Hilarious. You know, it's, um, it's, it, it's sort of like we, and we, especially because of what we do, because of what, because you are a storyteller. You know, you don't just write, I mean, you have jokes, but you don't, you're not, we're not like Mitch Hedberg right. or Carlin, where it's sort of like, can I get this sort of sing-songy bit going of like, our, you know, your stuff is stuff, their stuff is shit or whatever, blah, 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 you know. And so it's that, that, that thing where if something doesn't happen to us over a period of time, you start to go, fuck, what am I going to do? Right. And even when I'm talking about the world, I feel much more comfortable talking about the world through the context of a, you know, a story that happened. Like if I can, if I yes. want to talk about you know, gay marriage. I'd much prefer to talk about it in the context of a story about a, st- a thing that happened and make my point on the way rather yes. than just go, here's yeah. my opinion on this. Yeah. It's it's really funny uh, because I've, I've been thinking about a lot about the, you know, the universe and our place in it. And then I went up to uh, the the, Griff- the Griffith Observatory here in yeah. LA and they have like... Um, the... Now, did you end up having a knife fight with James Dean? Because that has been known to happen. Right. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Did you have a red jacket and a knife fight with him? Because that's where he... They do that, um, just, yeah, as a, like a live action thing. <laughs> yeah. But they do it at Universal Studios, you know. With... <laughs> right, they go up there, he's having a knife fight, right. Natalie Wood. It's Natalie Wood, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's fine. Um, so I went in and uh, they do the, you know, they kind of have those uh, shows in the in the dome. They have like, they, yeah. they project them up on the roof. And mm-hmm. they're like, so there's one, I think it's called Center of the Universe. And I've seen it like three times. And basically it's just an explanation of like what the earth is and how the sun works and how, what the stars are and really? how big the galaxy and the universe and stuff is. And, and you can just go up there and see it anytime. Yeah. It's like, well, I mean, it's like $7 to see the show and it's amazing. It's in this like dome and you like lay down, like, you know, the chairs lay back and you're looking at this and this person comes in. Oh my God, the pageantry of it. It's like the opening ceremony of the Olympics. <laughs> like, Cause it all goes. I have, I've lived here forever. I haven't gone to this. Oh is it every God. day? Every day. You can okay, go I'm, every going. Day. I'm going. It's I'm going. I'm going to take the kids. I'm going to go. I highly, highly I'm, recommend. I'm going to do it this week. It, so, um, and it's educational, but it's cool. That I don't like, but I get with I get the other part. Right. Lay, I like that you get to lay down right. and look at stuff. <laughs> Perfect. That's what I like. Some people come for the education. Yeah, yeah. Some people come for the lay down. Yeah, I like the lay down. <laughs> I'll pay seven bucks for a lay down. Right. I'll get everybody. I'll pay twenty eight bucks. Let's do four people. <laughs> so um, you go in. Uh, it's all projected on this sort of dome roof. So you lay back in your seat, and then this person, who's the narrator, who's going to narrate you through the story for the next whatever minutes, um, comes in with this. So that it all goes dark, and they come in with like a lighted orb that they hold, right. you know, that's meant to represent like the planet or the u- universe or whatever. So they're speaking into this orb, like, like suddenly, like you know, we're all going to take our trousers off and do something masonry. Oh, I love it. Do you it. know what I mean? Yes. Or like, I don't yeah. know. I love it. Somebody's going to get oiled up. I love it. Tom oh. Cruise may be here. I may go with oil. Right. Or I may go oiled up. You can just go oiled, pre-oiled, <laughs> pre-oiled. <laughs> You're standing in line. Yeah. Beforehand. What's going on with you? Don't worry about, no, it. about it. I'm just, I'm just a little bit ahead of the game yeah. here. I've got some tips. I'm pre-oiled. <laughs> <laughs> I got some inside information. Yeah. So uh, it's it, and it's so relaxing. By the way, I, I should point out though that last t- time when I was there a couple of nights ago, um, there was people snoring. Yeah. So like, it, that can did you go by yourself sleep. or did you take or did a girl show up there with you? But it wasn't a date. A girl showed up there, but it wasn't a date. I love it. <laughs> I want. I love these non dates you're going on. <coughs> there are lots of people there, right? Because it's a planetarium, right? Otherwise, you're 
out and exactly. In and the then park. you're just in the park. You've fallen down in the like, park. <laughs> you've fallen down. <laughs> this is what we're learning about. Here's tonight. the difference: if there's a bunch of people there, it's a planetarium. If not, you've fallen down in the park. <laughs> <laughs> and the person with the orb, yeah, that, that's not an orb. That's just a policeman with a light. That's a light. That's, that's right. That's a, not a yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> um. So the, the orb person comes in and it has one of those beautiful, like, sort of, you know, relaxing, sort of, you know, just so perfect voices. And then starts telling you about the history of the of the universe. And it is, so it's all projected on the screen. And you, so you see the stars and they, you know, will show you where all the, you know, where the star signs came from in the first place and yeah. where the stars are. And then they start to explain to you, you know, the size of the, you know, the, the, the universe and, and what people thought it was originally and... One of my favorite things about it is that they talk about how, you know, for 1,500 years, people believed one theory about the universe. It was what yeah, everyone just thought, well, that's what it is. And then 1,500 years later, they discovered that was just fucking bullshit. And I just love that you can be a, you know what I mean? Like that guy was considered, a, the guy who came up with that first one was considered a genius in his time yeah. and a genius for 1,500 years yes. afterwards. Yeah. And then it turned out he was full of shit. <laughs> I mean, it's on some level, and I do feel this, like, like, like when you get, when someone explains any of the science stuff to you, there are just days where you go, or this is a guess, you know what I mean? Or we've just sort of named these things right. and we're sort of saying this is what it is. Certain- this is one of my favorite things about um, particularly the bottom end mm-hmm. of this, and you'll notice this if you go to it is. They start to kind of hedge their bits, bets a little at the bottom. So, like, <laughs> up the top, there's a lot of things they're certain about now. Yeah. Because, you know, they've had the telescopes and they can actually just observe these things. Right. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we're like, we can't really explain this bit yet. And Look, some of these the are just theories. We're and- not entirely sure about ghosts. Yeah. Uh, or werewolves. <laughs> so if we mentioned those before, right. again, those are, but that bit may not be true. I, you know, it's a, it's it's like that stuff where I was like, you know, we're all made of the same stuff. No, that's fucking wood, and I can't put my finger through it. Like, right. I get that it's all molecules, and you break it down, but then I'm like, well, we also, I, or you're just saying that. Like, there, there are certain things I know we believe now that will be disproved, you know, in the next thousand years. You know, there are things that we are absolutely positive that's the way it goes, and then we're going to find out, no, the universe isn't even round or flat. It doesn't even exist. It's just... The very nature of that is a stunning idea, though, isn't it? Because yes. in every generation, that has, of course, been the case. Right. Every generation. There's not been one generation no. that, like, everything they said, they thought, they believed to yeah. be true. Yeah. Was. No, we are. No, we are. We're running on some so lies right here. So right now, we're making mistakes that in the future people will look back at and go, "The fuck were they thinking?" No. What's interesting now is that with the with the internet and with so many people communicating and so many people asking questions, we are starting to dig through stuff really. You know, like like the amount of shit you could get away with in government. Right. In the old days, now it just isn't true. You know, yeah. with all the, the IRS scandal thing and everything that's happening this week, people are just in there digging. Everyone's in there digging. So you can't, there won't be another Watergate probably because there just is too much, there's too much information. I mean, people will try things, but they'll be exposed immediately. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're going to get to a point where, like, we will have no choice but to be transparent because it's all known. Right. We all know. Well, we've all already put our information out everywhere. Yes. Like, we've done it willingly. Yes. Like, I mean, it's amazing that we lived in a world, I mean, in Australia, about 10 years, I wouldn't mean any more than 10 years ago, I reckon, maybe 15 years ago, but we, well within me being an adult in Australia, um, they wanted to bring in an Australia card, which was like an identification card that everybody in Australia would have to have 
uh, no matter, you know, whether you had a license or not. You'd just have to have, like, a card that, you know, showed who you were, had your picture on it. Right. Maybe had a chip in it that, you know, had your social security number sure. or whatever. And there were so many people. Like, I mean, it never came in because there was a national outrage that, like, Big Brother was trying to track us through essentially what was, you know, what your passport is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you know, it was just a passport for people. Now, I, but since then, we've all just whacked all our information out publicly on the internet. Yes. All of it. Yes. People could now track you much more by what you spend and what, what your iPhone's hooked up to and what apps you have running that yeah. show you where you are. And like, you know, the rewards program that you joined up with the supermarket that can... Like, I mean, there was that classic case of that girl who, uh, like Walmart or Target, no, Target knew she was pregnant before um, she did. Right. Right? Right. But here's the thing I'm also finding... Like, that's that thing, like, you know, people are going to know what you're up to. Can I tell you something? Nobody fucking cares. Right. That's the other thing. You know, that girl that's a teen mom that just made a, a porn movie or something like that? Nobody even gives a shit. No one cares anymore. Like, that, with that we've already had that watershed moment. Right. Paris Hilton happened and Kim Kardashian, and now it's just like, oh, you fucked and you're naked and you stole something and you're a bad person and you're a racist. It, nobody, like, the fact that somebody might find out about where I've been, like, oh, I don't give a fuck, fuck, I went to the library, and then I went home, and I fucked my wife, and then I had a sandwich, like, who gives a shit? Like, at some point, you're like, that, that has less meaning. You know, the government can figure out where you are. If the government's following me, they're bored out of their fucking minds, waiting for something to happen so I can podcast. We're all waiting for something to happen, you know? I do think you do have to sort of be, I mean, th there are reasons to be paranoid, but I do feel like there are times where people are so it's that self-centered thinking of like you know people are going to know what I'm up to it's like nobody fucking gives you shit about you nobody right. cares like, here's what so I think is the most on. interesting thing about the internet and the way that it is and look people are adjusting through this at different rates like we work in a profession that is used to getting feedback right yeah like it's a feedback immediate feedback uh, you know right. profession and it's also a profession where rejection is more common than acceptance mm -hmm. i don't mean like in a live sense but i mean like you know in the business sense of it you're more often told no or that you know you get passed over or whatever than in so i think that early on you know we we get reviewed for you know, for our shows that we do mm -hmm. like it's out there in public and i think early on i was very sensitive to that sort of thing yes and the interesting thing is, I don't think the reason I'm not sensitive to it now is because... It's partly because I'm more experienced and more mature, but it's partly because of the fucking internet. And all that's shown me is that everyone is really fucking mean to everyone. <laughs> like, Everyone's everyone mean. hates everyone. You don't feel alone anymore. You don't feel like, oh, if someone hates me. Like, it, I feel refreshed when someone, like, if on Twitter or whatever, is like, you know, you're shit. I'm like, okay, block, great. Like, you know, it... It, you don't even care anymore. You don't care. And the other thing is, is it, it doesn't mean anything. There was a point in time, everyone we talked about this everyone. a little bit earlier, where, where there, were, there were fewer media outlets and people who wrote critiques had some power because they were the ones that got to write critiques. Right. And everybody sort of went to that source. And now you realize your favorite artist is going to release a record and 5,000 people are going to write something shitty about it and then you're still going to like him and it's right. not going to matter unless you don't like the record. I mean, like, no one's going to get me to stop liking the Strokes even if I think they've made a bad record. Right. But I don't care what anyone says. I don't care what their reviews are. Like, sometimes when I don't know what something is, I'll scroll reviews to get a sense of what the band is like or whether I might like it. I've heard a few songs, but I'll get a general taste. Right. I'm not one guy. Because when I see somebody who's got a personal agenda, I just go, well, you're a fucked up dude with a personal agenda, no different than a critic. And also critics don't have any weight anymore because they're just dudes that 
You know what I mean? Like, so what, you went to film school. Like, it doesn't... Well, everyone's a critic now. Everyone is. And everyone has my, a platform. My favorite thing is also that... Um, and look, yeah, don't get me wrong. I, I, I work in the idea... Like, you know, I work in communications. I work in the ideas business. If people didn't want to hear what I had to say, I wouldn't have a job. So right. I feel like it's hypocritical sometimes for me to talk about the idea of other people expressing their voice. But one of my favorite things oh, right. about the internet, like, uh, you know, that I found recently is when someone starts like a, a controversy, whether it be about like, you know, yeah, comedians and the jokes they can tell, which is something right. that we read, but like right. whatever it is, the, the thing that they'll trot out afterwards was like, well, I thought it was time to provoke a debate. And I was like, hang on, when did we all elect you deb- <laughs> debate provoker? <laughs> Like, when did you wake up someday, person who just woke up and went, you know what? Today, I need to provoke a debate in no, the comedy community. No, everybody like, wants, yeah, they want to join, they want to, they want you to join in the discussion. Right. Or shit. You had something to say, you're trafficking on somebody else's. You yeah. know, there's always going to be, Dave and I joked a little bit about this. Like, I, you know, the, the, the sensitivity of the rape culture thing and all of that. And, and like, you know, I think that there's... It, one of the things that is sort of good is you th- th- about the internet is you are more aware now right. of everybody's opinion. Everyone does kind of have a voice. Yeah. So if a Daniel Tosh thing happens, and then two thousand women write about it, you know that there's a, there's a way there's a thought that isn't just yours and not just comedians. You actually can hear what the women are saying. Go, oh, that's a pretty good point of view. Whereas before you were it, you were sort of subjective of whether you believe that or not. But now you can actually see it happen. You can see cause and effect. You can see responses. But the kind of great thing about all of it is, is other than when I go to an audition or try and get a job, I don't have to look at any of it. Right. I don't have to read my Twitter feed. I don't have to read a review. All I know is that my manager calls me and said, you've been hired to work somewhere. I'm still working. Right. And that's kind of all I care about. Because when I go to work, the only people that are going to show up, for the most part, or people want to see me, right? And they don't agree with the reviewer anyway. <laughs> so it really doesn't matter. Like it's, I'm only provide. The one thing I learned about the podcast world is I'm only performing for those people, and those people think I'm okay because yeah. they've taken the time to come and do it. You know, I was thinking about this when we were talking about the TED Talk thing because I, and if I could recommend one, by the way, if you're not familiar with TED, uh, there's a skateboarder named Rodney Mullen who was a part of the Bones Brigade here in the United States, and uh, which were a crew of skateboarders that included uh, Tony Hawk. And a couple other uh, really incredible guys. And this kid guy is uh, older and uh, very surfer-looking, and um, uh, and I think he has some form of Asperger's by his own admission. His TED Talk is one of the best TED Talks you'll ever hear on creativity. One of the smartest things ever. That's the other beautiful thing about TED Talks. It's not just authorities, and you know, just you know, um, uh, academics. You know, sometimes it's skateboarders and and uh, a couple of things. But one of the things, if I was to give a TED Talk. What I, what I want to do, my goal right now is to, um, uh, and, I'm t- and I'm saying this into a microphone for the first time now, um, l- last week, I think, or maybe two weeks ago, Seth Meyers was made uh, the host of uh, Late Night. That's right. So he's going to follow Fallon. Yes. And about an hour later, the uh, Mike Eisenstein, who I play with in The Rainy Monarchs, wrote me and said, we should try and be the house band. <sighs> so... I called my manager and I said, hey, look, I don't even know if this is a thing or a possibility, but right. can we, is that something, you know, how does that happen? I don't yeah. even know about that process. Right. And, and then that's he, always the first thing that you need to know. Right. Like, I mean, they probably already, maybe he already has somebody picked or he's right. going to have a DJ or whatever. And then I thought, it doesn't even matter if he has already picked somebody. Let's just ask him for right. a shot. So. Because you never fucking know, right? you ne- If you don't ask for what you want, you're not going to get it. And, right. you know, suddenly we, like, we're putting out a record and there was all this stuff. But now all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, and now we have a plan. Because right. to me, that's the job. That's my, that's my, that's, uh, that's my, that's my, 
that's the people go. What's your? What would you want to do? I would want to be the leader of the house band right. on a talk show where I can do comedy, I can play music, and then I can fucking go home and see my family. Right. Perfect. Five nights a week. Perfect. So we are gonna try to actively campaign just to get a shot, not for the thing, but just to just go back to New York, do a show at say the Bell House. Uh, or the Mercury Lounge and have Seth come out and see the band and fucking meet him and yeah. and that's it and maybe get a meeting with him but like that thing of like oh you should ask for what you want like I'm a big believer in asking for what you want but then doing it you right. know what I mean like putting it out there and seeing what, what kind of a what kind of noise you can make? I think that putting it out there does um, mean it keeps you accountable at least. Yes. But also the other thing is that I think that there's no problem with documenting the journey. Unless no. you are one of those people who like never wants people to think that things go badly for you oh, or no. things that go wrong. Oh no, we wouldn't do our podcast if that was right. <laughs> our podcast is fueled by misery. Our podcast is nothing but but Dave, but Dave and I are actively, I think we talked about that with you the last time we saw you, was that we're actively trying to change that. Like, right. neither of us wants to be stuck yeah. in this, like, isn't it hilarious that we're failing again and 12 people have bought tickets to the Meltdown show. Yeah. We'd love to turn it up a little right. bit. And, and we'd I feel like to... you could find other things to be upset about. Yes. You know? Yeah. And also, I just think, like, you know, I hadn't, it had never even occurred to me to think about that until I went, oh, my God, I have a band. Right. I could be the co-host. Because I've got 25 years of comedy experience. I think Seth Meyers is fucking hilarious. I, right. He's always been one of my favorite people on the show. And then I thought, fuck, you know, I'm just going to go for it. And even if we don't make it, what a fun thing to try and do. Right. You know, what a fun but journey. But it also kind of it puts the word out there. I, I mean, you know, not just for that. Yeah. But like then if you can do that and you talk about doing that or you get to even do that, then suddenly, you know, well, you know, it might not be that show. But, you know, if I, people know that that's a thing that you... Totally. Like, because I can imagine somebody, like, particularly, say, somebody who was doing a, um, you know, a new show. Like, you know, like, say it was a new face or, like, someone right. like that where they wanted someone, you know, in the band who had a bit of, you know, comedy chops and some experience. Yeah, right. Someone that, like, the audience would actually, you know, kind of know maybe. Know a little bit. Whatever, right, exactly. Right? right. Have a little bit. Because I think totally. one of the smartest things, I think one of the smartest things that's happened a long time in show business was the fact that. Jimmy Fallon put the roots on his show. I just can't believe he, that still happened. But he literally put I a... I just can't he put, believe he put how a, that happened. At that point in time, he put a band with more show business credibility than he yeah. had on his own show. Yeah. Which on some level made it grounded as though he was doing a show where there were already adults there. Right. There were guys that were like, at the very least, it's one of the best bands that's ever played music, and they've got it. And you know what? Yeah, they got it. We got it. Yeah. We got this. Like, they and, are guys that would like, you know, in any situation... You'd like those guys from the roots to be the dudes who had to like whatever was going down. Yes, if the roots were there, the roots would be. You'd be you'd like be, you'd, be, you'd have you'd be covered, right? Right, you'd be fine. <laughs> the roots. I, I still feel like <laughs> shit hasn't gone completely wrong because the roots are here and they seem relaxed. If so. they can please call their next record, the roots have your back. Right. Because, <laughs> but you know, and then of course Jimmy's very talented and, and and funny and rose to the occasion, and it turns out that's what he should be doing with his life. And, Isn't and, that amazing though? Yes. Like I mean, to me, I find that because I was not. I mean. I didn't have a particular opinion on Jimmy Fallon. Sure. Um, and, uh, but I wasn't like a hater, but no. I, but I certainly, cause it's, cause I must come from stand up. I've never really j just been fascinated by that sort of performer. Yeah. So, and cause we don't get SNL in Australia, like oh, yeah. well, you have to search it out if you right. want to find it. So I'd only really seen him in some crappy movies and stuff. And yeah. I was just like, he's not going to be for me. And I watched the first like, you know, few weeks of, the show and he was terrible at telling the jokes at the start and it just looked like I was like oh I'm not gonna like this and then he just he just made it his own yeah like just all those singing like you know those, those Justin Timberlake 
um, yeah, where they do the history of right. wrapped things right. and like all that sort of shit. He just owned it. He just well, went, here's what I do. I saw him in, um, what's his name, uh, the dude from uh, George, John Krasinski yeah. from The Office yeah. the other night doing this. It was a lip syncing thing. I'll put it on the Facebook page of the podcast. But essentially they were you know, doing a lip syncing yeah. competition. Yeah. And it was hilarious. Here's the thing about him. He's incredibly likable. He is what they what they refer to as a song and dance man. He is. You know, he's old time show business. Like right. he's funny enough. Yeah, funny he's enough. He's certainly likable. Right. He's very smart. People seem to he's a fan. So right. the, I mean there's not a his is not a cynical show. It's not Letterman. It's not Letterman. <laughs> and also I think he kinda went, look, Conan's been Conan was as cool. Letterman was as cool as you could be. When Letterman right. first came on, it just wasn't any cooler. That's yeah. why he didn't get to have the Tonight Show. He was just too, too cool. fucking cool. Yeah. And 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 so that 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 sadly, it's that weird thing of like, if you're gonna be a guy with edge, you're gonna be a guy with edge, which means you probably don't get to host the Tonight Show because right. I didn't. Carson didn't have that kind of edge. Carson had a different thing. Yeah. Carson had more in common with Fallon than any of them. Yeah. Because he was. Inundated. Jimmy is show business. He right. knows everybody. Everybody loves him. Yep. You know, he's a guy that comes to your house and plays the piano and everyone hangs out. And I've heard stories of him. I heard a story. I think he told the story about him, Billy Joe from Green Day, and Mick Jagger sitting at the piano. Now, how the fuck does that happen, right? right? But that's his life. Yeah. And um, he's not afraid to put on a funny hat. Nope. Like, that's he's, very Carson to me as well. You know, the fact that he's like, you know, he's, he'll, he'll just come out right. in the middle of a sketch, yeah. in the middle of a thing, yeah. do a funny bit. Like, yep. Not afraid to do it. They do the long form videos there. They do yeah. the show parodies. They got a great writing staff. Like I think it's just like it's one of those things where yeah, it's one of those cool show business stories where that's actually what he should have been doing right. the whole time. Yeah, He's, I'm amazed at how uh, yeah. how much I enjoy. Like I don't watch it every night or anything, but I often tune in thinking you know I'll watch five minutes of this and then like twenty minutes later you're like this has had some pretty and and the fucking roots are on it and the roots are on it. <laughs> And the roots are on it, and he and he's you know he puts everybody on, and and um, uh, the only problem with that show is like you know there's often the musical act at the end is nowhere near as good as the roots. Well, that's <laughs> that's about that's the, only... the tough thing, right? That's the tough thing is that like yeah, and he, and he puts a lot of the young bands on there, and they right. just don't have the gravitas, right? You know, they're just as a thing. It would be like yeah, it'd be like if your house comedian was Steve Martin, and then right. you had to come out and do stand up, <laughs> but he was already so fucking funny before you got on. Right. You know, I mean, that's even, I think that's a little bit true with Letterman sometimes. It's like, it's not going to get any funnier than Letterman, or in the, at least in the old days. I still right. think he's pretty funny and a good interviewer. Um, yeah, so the Fallon thing, you know, and who knows? And again, like with the Seth Meyer, Myers thing, it's really more of a whim to try and do it. But it, it actually gave us some focus of like, oh, cool, here's something we can go for. We can ask our fans to sort of like, we don't need any more money from you because we're making the record, but maybe you can help us come to shows and let's make this sort of a campaign. And, you know, just so we can get seen by them. Right. Not to not make us the band, but just come see us. See this band. See if this might not be something. Even if you've got a band. Even if you already have a band or you're going to have a DJ or you've asked a team right. and Paula to be your band, yeah, just come see the Reigning Monarchs. Give yeah. us a shot. The thing that I would love um, too is it's just an interesting... And then we'll go to Australia and be the band on your talk show. Yeah, it's an interesting arc. You know, it's an interesting um, story, oh you know. God. I, I, I think that's really exciting. I'd have, the, I'd have the weirdest career in show business if that happened. Wouldn't you, Josh? I would have the strangest career in show business. I don't know. Right? I mean, not strange, but it'd be like from stand-up to book author to... Right. Although, but you know, what, what, what's, uh, you know, Paul uh, from Letterman, uh, he wrote It's Raining Men. Oh, that's right. So that, oh, God. <laughs> so I don't know if he you are, never, he's any more weirder than I bet he than never his... has to work, like, right. just, just, I bet he doesn't even have to touch his, his money from no. the Letterman show, right? No. 
Yeah, he's it's probably. Really I wonder. Bad. I wonder if he's, he's like Jay Leno. You know, Leno never touches the Tonight Show money. Right. Right. Maybe there's a parade at least once a week. Maybe Paul's like that. He's just like. <laughs> What? I'm just still living off of the it's a rain and men money. Oh my god, his yeah. grandkids will be the legacy of gay parades. Right. <laughs> you know how you know what paid for my college? Nope, not no, not David Letterman. No. no. Gay parades. Yeah. The gay parades all around the world that play that song at the beginning and right. at the end. Yeah. In fact, we were anti-gay marriage because we wanted to keep the parades going. Well, yeah, and right. And we felt like once there was equality <laughs> everywhere, they were going to stop the, the parades. The parades would be, they'd be moot. <laughs> <laughs> We'd lose our sweet, it's raining men dollar. Oh my God. We were so talking brave. just before we started, um, and I think it's very similar on, on topic, about uh, Sound City, the documentary about uh, oh, yeah. Sound City, the studio where some of the greatest albums of all time were yeah. recorded, just in the valley here in LA, right? I, I actually... I didn't realize until I saw the documentary that I had been there when Tool was making a record because oh, for, right. for a brief time I was friends with Maynard. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he had taken a real interest in comedy and right. had befriended all of us that I were... I feel like he, that he, Tool had a... Did, wasn't one of the albums dedicated to Bill Hicks? Or yes. Had like a, yeah, all the songs yeah. were... A lot of the songs were about Bill. He was a huge Bill Hicks fan and when Bill died he wanted to find where there were people doing comedy again that would like sort of like that so mm-hmm. he sort of came to the Uncabaret uh, where me and Cross and all the Mr. Show people, all those folks were doing stand-up, and so he sort of befriended us, and we liked him, and his band was just blowing up. When he enjoyed comedy, did he do it much like on stage, where he would just stand in the corner and not stare at you guys? He <laughs> just behind a sheet, did the whole thing behind a sheet with a bullhorn, dressed as a unicorn or whatever the fuck he's got, some silver paint on his head. It's funny. He was one of those guys that's like he was a really like, and he was funny. Thought he was pretty funny. Right, he was pretty yeah, funny. Yeah. You know, he tried somebody tried a little bit too hard, but right. um, but sometimes I try to rock too hard. Right. So I get it. <laughs> I get it. I, you know, it just what what comes naturally for him. But he was uh, a, a certainly uh, he certainly loved all that stuff. But anyway, so we he invited us to come down to where they were making uh, uh, their record. I think it was Anima or Enema or whatever you call yeah. it, and. Um, and Rage had just made their record there. Right. And it was actually sitting there. And um, and so I forgot all about it. I was like, oh, that was a cool day. And it was sort of, a, it was exactly what they talked about. It was a sort of dirty, weird looking yeah. place. Um, but that documentary was really... Stunning. So uh, for those who haven't seen it, and, um, you know, this is not spoilers. No, no it's not spoilers. <laughs> uh, it, it's really great documentary, for a start. Right. Dave Grohl made it. Dave Grohl made it. It's yeah. about, it's about, it's where they recorded Nevermind. Right. And it's a, it was a studio called Sound City in, in, in Van Nuys. And it had this um, uh, soundboard. Soundboard. That was, like, you know, made by hand and, yeah. So this, the, the, the thing I love about the documentary is that it's partly, uh, yeah, the story of this, you know, studio Sound City and all mm-hmm. the albums that were made there you know everything right. from Fleetwood Mac you know through right. to Rick Springfield through right. to Nirvana and stuff like that yeah. um, but also it, it, it's a story about when analog music changed to digital yes and you know what the pros and cons of those things were yeah and you know I feel like it has a resonance to what we're going through again now because it feels like there's another revolution yep. at the moment where yeah. you know people can yeah, because you know people like with Pro Tools and stuff can make music in their own houses, which yeah. is great yeah. in one way. Right. Well, it's great when you get Macklemore. Right. And then everything else is terrible. <laughs> and then everything else is horseshit. Like you still kind of you still kind of can't do it, but some guys can. Macklemore can do it and be fucking massive. And then you have to just get a get a producer and an engineer, write a real song, learn how to sing first. Um, it is it. It's so funny because um, <laughs> there's Macklemore and there's Macklemore-ish and they're not yeah, so good. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then there's just no. yeah, there's Steve and Brian who no. made a thing when they were drunk. Um, the the um, 
one of the beautiful things about it is uh, that he's taken basically the story of a soundboard and turned it into a film, right. an actual film with residents. About a soundboard. I, I, he is, he's got kids at our school, so we know each other in passing. And I saw him at uh, the father-daughter dance, and he's a lovely, lovely guy. He's worn our T-shirts on stage, and he's been very, very sweet. But uh, I said, I said, you know, the movie's really good, and he sort of blew it off. And I said, no, listen, you know, as a filmmaker, you made what could have easily been a really dull topic. Right. A soundboard. A soundboard. It's a story of a fucking Neve soundboard. Yeah. Like, who gives a shit? The soundboard doesn't and move. And it has an arc. It doesn't move. It's right. not a thing. It's got no feelings. It it's doesn't give a that, shit where it is. It's a thing that none of us had really heard of or cared about before the movie. Right. And by the end, it was like fucking Lord of the Rings. And then two weeks In later... In fact, I was more moved by that fucking Neve soundboard than I was by the Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> like, I was like, I want one of those. I'm not even a musician. Like two weeks later, when we went to record, we recorded a place called the Steakhouse over in uh, over in North Hollywood, and we were we recorded on the world's biggest Neve board, right. which is two Neve boards put together. Now we recorded on a Neve board, but we recorded it digital because right. we didn't have the money or the time to do tape. Sure. Tape takes a lot of time and money, um, and not that we wouldn't do it. I, there's a great there's there's something great about the idea of cutting tape, but right. you know, in this day and age, and and the cool thing was he didn't. There were people who advocated digital. In the movies, so oh, it's not right. just like you're an asshole if you don't record on digital. No, in fact, like a lot of people, I mean, you know, do what tape. you, you were yeah. doing, you would record through and then, you know, into yeah. digital. Yeah. And the other thing is that, like, you know, he had guys like Trent Reznor. Yeah. And I, like, could not be a bigger fan of Trent Reznor. I think he's, his music is just. Yeah. Cause the thing that I love about Nine Inch Nails in particular is that I really shouldn't like Nine Inch Nails. Compared right. to most of the other music that I like, sure, it's just that little step away where I'm like, this should be too heavy or too industrial or too produced or too fucked up. Right. But I love it. I find it compelling. I would say that three of the top ten gigs I've ever seen in my life have been Nine Inch Nails gigs. Really? Like, just amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the gig they did in Sydney where he was like, he, it was like, I think it was almost even the final time they played Hurt, but like it was like towards the end where he was like saying, oh, yeah, this is Johnny Cash's song now, I'm not going to play it myself. And at the end of it, he, gave, he just he took his guitar off and he just gave it to a kid in the audience. <laughs> wow. I was like, <laughs> I am done. I am done. Right. Have you ever done that? You ever finish your show and just give the kid the microphone right. and then have the guy run out? No, you yeah, can't. Yeah, give yeah, him the back. The thing is, like, that, you, you don't. That's not your microphone, man. I would love to see you at your next tour, finish one of your jokes and go, I'm never telling that joke again. Yeah. Here you go, kid. And it's still attached to the cord. He doesn't know what to do it's with like, it. It's a weird gesture. You walk <laughs> off. He starts to walk off with the cord. No one knows what's going on. Do I take it out of the. Can I have this? Put that back. <laughs> Some roadie jumps on him. Wilkie's giving the mic away. You can't do that. It's the only mic we have. But I don't know this is happening because every night when I do it, I just give the mic away. Yeah. And then I walk off. Yeah, you walk off. I have no idea. I assume... You're in your private... I assume it's going great. (laughs) What you do is you do the rock swimming. When you run off, they put you in a robe and then you're in a jet. Right. Like you're out of there. Even even if you're doing the performing there the next night. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm staying staying in an Oaks like it's a block and a half away, but I'm flying there. I'm flying to Melbourne Airport and catching a cab back to my venue because <laughs> I think that's a good idea. I'm a star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, I, I, there's a helicopter on the roof of the God venue, and we that's just that's got to be so fun. You know, my my friend, uh, the guy, one of the guys that plays with the Monarchs, his name is Mitch Marine, and he drums for uh, Dwight Yoakam as well. Oh yeah. And uh, I was up at the Bottle Rock Festival in Napa t- last weekend, and they had played there, and I had driven up, and uh, they flew private jet into Napa. Right. Did the show. 
crushed it and then got on a private jet and went back. Like, I just want to know what that experience is like one time. Just like, to just, fly into Just somewhere. to fly in, yeah. your shit's there, you play. Right. But here's a cool thing about Dwight Yoakam that's also a little crazy. He's something of a, he's got like an OCD thing, like where he can, the, the drum riser has to be three and a half inches and not more than three and a half inches. Oh. And he can walk out and know whether it's three and a half inches without even looking. Yeah. And then he, you have to change the drum that riser. That seems to be a man who's obsessed with three and a half inches. That's now, right. I might, uh, I, I, I do some amateur psychology here. Yes. <laughs> Oh, there's all. What you're saying is Dwight Yoakam has a really small cock. Right? He has a. That's he might have. I mean, it's tiny cock. Yeah, because if it was ten exactly inches, exactly three and a half inches, three and a half inches, something like that. And then he also, he also. Uh, I'm sure I'm getting the measurement wrong, but then he also right. owns all the equipment. Oh. He owns all of his band's equipment, oh. all of their amps, all their stuff, just so it sounds exactly the way he wants it to. Right. Which is, and they're incredible. I guess that means incredible. And he was incredible the right. other day. Like I'm, I'm, I'm not like a super Dwight Yoakam fan. I only had one of his records. Like I like him, but. Then I saw him, and I'm like, I would go see this. I would see it a bunch. It's incredible. I met some of his musicians Mm -hmm. on a uh, ferry uh, in Sydney Harbour. Mm -hmm. He was out in Australia playing. Yeah. And uh, there was these... uh, We were going out to a music festival, uh, which was out in Parramatta. So, like, we were catching a ferry, like, about an hour down, like, you know, through the harbour and out to Parramatta to this music festival that we were going to. And... um, Dwight Yoakam's uh, band were on the ferry and we thought they were going to because uh, Beck was playing at the music festival and Beck oh, right. produced their last yeah, album yeah, right? yeah 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 so we thought so we yeah we started talking to them and anyway turns out they got on the wrong ferry they were trying to go to the zoo so <laughs> <laughs> they were essentially going two hours out of their way that's oh what they God. were doing they were going to get to see where Parramatta was nice guys but nice guys yeah. but here's the thing you know how sometimes you just look at someone and you go, I'd, I bet you're a really good musician because they were just tall and skinny and lanky yep. and had That's big right. hats. That's right. And That's they, you, like, you just Mitch. looked at them and you were just like, yeah, you guys... I bet you guys are good at playing music. Oh my god, that's just, hilarious! Yeah, you look I, like you are. I guarantee you, you met Mitch then, because yeah. Mitch is tall and lanky and always wears a cowboy hat. Right. And we call him the cowboy. He actually played in Smash Mouth. Oh, he right. He played in Smash Mouth, and wow. he played in a couple other bands. He's been around for a while, but he played in Smash Mouth, and then Dwight hooked him up, and he's incredible. Like you could set that the is set. always. A, I, I do love, and because this is what careers are like, and this is totally. what life is like. Yes. You know, you look at um, you know Ryan Gosling, who was in the you know Mickey Mouse Club, and now is like you know the coolest, darkest, you know Steve. Queen action star that we have, you know, going around. And it's the same with, you know, like, I mean, Taylor Hawkins, uh, that's his name, isn't that's it? Right. From uh, Dave Grohl, from yeah. Foo Fighters. Yeah. Like, he drummed with Alanis Morissette. And you want to know what's crazy about that? You know who replaced him when he left? No. Blair Sinta of the Reigning Monarchs. Right. Is that right? That's right. And now Blair plays with Melissa Etheridge. Like, these guys just play. Like, right. it's great. And it's and they all know each other, and there's all these different gigs that they do, and... and um, uh, but there must be one of those things where, like, you know, if you're Taylor, and fair enough, like, uh, what, one of the great, you know, you've got to be a great drummer to be able to well, drum in a thing. band with Dave Grohl, right? Uh, that, yes. Like, yes. and he is a great drummer. Uh, like no a, doubt. A great drummer. I have no doubt. And, and um, But it's one of those things where, like, you know, when he's in that documentary and he's, like, there and he's playing with, essentially, the members of, you know, Nirvana are, are all there and, uh, you know, you've got, you know, Sir Paul McCartney and you've got all these, like, massive stars. He must be just thinking... You know, I never when I was drumming for Alanis Morissette, I bet I didn't think this was going to happen. Absolutely. Right? No, absolutely. I mean, look, even Grohl, uh, you know, can't believe that he's standing in a room with McCartney. McCartney. You know, he's just like, what is, how is this happening? Um, but uh, the other thing about drummers is there aren't that many good ones. Right. I mean, there really aren't. I mean, the, but good drumming is like really, really rare. And then there's okay drumming, which just doesn't cut the mustard. So good drummers are 
they'll always work. You know, my buddy played with Morrissey. Uh, the guy, well, one of the other guys that plays with us, Eric Gardner, played with Morrissey and Narles Barkley and with Tom Morello's Street Sweeper Social Scene or whatever. Like, these guys get used because timekeepers. I mean, those guys run the band. They're the right. catcher. They're the ba- you know what I mean. They're the guys that it's the ba- they are the band leader essentially. You know what I mean? If you, it, it, it all starts and ends with them. If they're off, you're done. Right. There's not a lot you can do if your drummer sucks. Plus, a lot of the time they want you to work with your shirt off. A lot of time you need That's to. <laughs> you just need to. One of the greatest stories I ever heard was John Bryan, who was a, a very famous producer, musician, a big Largo guy, basically. Yep. He did. Um, he produced. Uh, he's done a lot of Paul. He scored Paul I, Thomas Anderson movies. I think he produced one of Kanye's early albums, or That's co-produced right. one That's of right. Kanye's early yes. albums. He's done a lot of. I think he's done all of Fiona's records. Mm. Anyway, super talented guy, but very smart, erudite, you know, guy in a bow tie, weirdo guy. He goes, I'm in a studio, and all of a sudden I hear drumming, and I swear to God, it's the best drumming I've ever heard, and I go down the hall, and there, almost completely nude, is Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, in his underpants, playing drums. And he goes, it's one of the best things I've ever seen. He goes, and I'm not positive. I've, I mean, he's one of the best drummers I've ever seen. I thought you were going to say that uh, he heard the best drumming that he'd ever heard. You yeah. know, it was like that sort of thing. Going, I heard drumming in a way that I'd never heard drumming. Yes. It was like the person had three hands. And then he went down there and Tommy Lee was naked <laughs> playing the drums with his hands and his cock. And it was... <laughs> I didn't say that didn't happen. It was happen. music on a new level. I didn't say that didn't happen. Because <laughs> if that it cop could. can drive a boat, Easily. so it can Easily. play drums. I mean, right? I think it, you could get that thing to work on the snare. You just hang right. just, it, just to be just shaky the... enough. You got the snare drum going. <laughs> that guy. But yeah, it was like, it's like, you know, it's like, and it's, and drumming is a musicianship that, that like, I mean, good drumming is just crazy. And one of the things that's so weird is, uh, I have a videotape. I did. I don't have it anymore. But I, I, I had a, or a, you know, I had a, on my phone, a recording of my daughter playing drums. Oh yeah. Uh, and uh, my oldest daughter, True. And uh, I've shown it to drummers. And at the beginning, she's just like, and she builds and builds and builds. And every one of those guys goes, "Oh my God, dude, she's got it. She's got the thing." She could not be less interested. Yeah, are you serious? She's got a slow, heavy foot, but she right. goes, it's really purposeful, but it's a little bit behind the beat. It's that sort of bottom thing. And yeah. I was like, and I'm, I remember watching her going, why do you have this? Yeah, I don't have any of this. Right. There's not one thing I've ever done that I picked up and went, oh, I can do this, you yeah. know? Comedy, maybe. Like, you know, or being funny. Like, you're like, oh, I got up. I, the first time I got up, I did pretty good. And it's, and it's always gone pretty okay. But like not in that weird, in that musical way that's sort of beautiful and feels like it's coming from another source. Like she's not even, she just stares off. She doesn't, she's not trying at all. My other daughter is very metronomical, but is definitely trying to hit the drums. But True just is just like flowing through her. And I'm like, why don't, you know, she's only 11. Maybe she'll pick it up, but she couldn't be less interested. That's one of those things, uh, a female drummer, hot. Like, I mean... That would be pretty cool. That's neat, yeah. Uh, but se- secondly, um, I-, I would love to be able to play the drums. Yeah. Like, I would love to be able oh, to play yeah. the drums. There's some- I play, I'm the opposite of True, because I play air drums, and all my drummer friends, and I've got a couple of friends who are really good drummers, yeah. uh, say that even when I play air drums, I am the worst drummer they've ever <laughs> Like, even playing imaginary drums, <laughs> the moves I make, and the timing in which I do them, yeah. are so out of time. And so, like... Without drums, I'm terrible. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, look, I, there were, I mean, there were, the one fun thing about making this record is the guys in my band are all pros. They can all read music and all that stuff. And I can't tell you how many times we had to stop the song and somebody go, so you're listening to the click track, right, Greg? Like the tick, tick, tick. Okay, yeah, just because you should do, if you did it on the rhythm, that would be, we'd probably get a good, we'd get a good cut. There. Just, <laughs> I love that you're playing it with a lot of enthusiasm. Right. Maybe if you just played it in time, because right. there's actually a thing in your headphones going click, click, yeah. click, 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 before the drums start. Right. And then, right? And then when the drums start, just listen to the snare, you right. know, and every time I'm like, <laughs> you know, and the only thing I have to say is, well, I wrote this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great, Greg. Right. That's, you know, yeah. you wrote part of it. Yeah, you wrote you part of it. Yeah. We, now we're trying to get it right. Yeah. Look, I, you're good at tweeting. Right. <laughs> you bought the ingredients. Yes. We need to combine them into a delicious cake. That's exactly right. right. I brought the ingredients together and yeah. I named it. And then Mike right. is the Mike is the guy. You yeah. know, I mean, he's just so fucking talented. And he said to me, like in our imaginary world, he goes, you know, if for some crazy reason we got a gig like this gig, you know, mm. what you'd have to do. I'm like, get like a lot of sweaters. He's like, mm. no practice. Yeah, a lot. You'd actually have we'd to have to sit together right. every day every for night. weeks, and you'd yeah. have to learn every chord. Like yeah. you understand what this is. I'm yeah. like, I. But can you imagine if that's what I had to do? Right. I'd be so excited. I know, but you would have to do that. I would have to do that. Because <laughs> I have never seen a Tonight Show band where it is like th their mate's garage band. You know? <laughs> like they normally are excellent, excellent Yeah, musicians. yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd have to really like up my game. I mean, that was my uh, memory of going to see uh, Conan. And that was back in the, you know, the old Conan days, you know, when they still had, you know, Max Weinberg and the... Right. You know, the, yes, the orchestra and all that yeah. sort of stuff, and they were like amazing. Oh, they're incredible musicians. They're incredible. So you go to the show, and they do the show. I mean, because people in Australia might not get this, because if you've seen TV shows being taped in Australia, you've normally seen them stop down, break, reshoot something. Mm -hmm. These shows, they just tape straight through. Straight through, they do. And they unless play. something really bad right. happens, and they'll give like, they'll give the band an opportunity to record it like that. For the most part, though, like if your stand-up set sucks, right. you're done. That's you're done. it. That's what he can't it is. do it again. And Conan doesn't pick up shit from his like you know he just does the monologue. No. There's no sort of like mm -mm. so so the band play through the breaks you know on yeah. that show and they all wow like I mean what a band you yeah know, like you do because it's your job is to entertain the whole crowd yeah to keep the vibe up yeah. to keep them going yeah. so you know yeah all I'm saying is I felt like all those guys knew all the chords they knew all the chords <laughs> they knew all of them they, I would have to really rip on the guitar but the other thing is like that would be the George Plimpton of it all it'd be like okay now you're gonna do this is what you're doing you had a talk show where you advise women about their dating thing right you've done stand-up now you're gonna be in a band like I'd be like I would be able to I would love to be able to step to that I'd love to be able to show people that's something you could do i mean i have enough working knowledge of the guitar that it wouldn't be impossible but it just it's a different discipline than right. i've ever been a part of and also, i've always come at it in a very punk way you're in charge so you can do that classic thing of like you know playing a few chords and a few things and then strapping the guitar behind your back and waving at other people right, right. <laughs> that. i mean but yeah. my amp was just empty it was just hollow right. it's not just, even on yeah not even on but i no. do the thing every night yeah get a I little mean, guest vocalist in yeah know? right and do a little bit of that talk over it i think it's also <laughs> but it also like the idea of being in a group like that and going to work every day to do that would just be so fucking different than anything it'd be like having a, you know it's like you must feel when you go to do your show like right. How rad that is to go and have a thing where you know exactly what the day is and how this goes. You know, there's right. elements but, of it. But that it has performance built into it. That's essentially yeah. essentially what you're looking for 
at the end of it. And I'm not, not, but I think particularly for people who like to perform. And that's the reason that when I uh, go back to Sydney, I'm having a bit of trouble this year with trying to get my Australian dates to work because I'm back in Australia for a little less time because I've right. got some other commitments overseas. And um, normally I'll do like nine weeks of shows at the Sydney Comedy Store while I'm in Sydney, you know, because I just like to, you know, it's just four nights. I do four or five nights a week. You know, it's yeah. great. Yeah. I go and do the show at seven. I'm home by 8.30. I can still have a life, but I get to perform every day yeah, and yeah, do yeah. the show. And it's essentially like, you know, you can see why these people love to, if someone in the UK, they'll go and do six months on in the West End. Right. You know, Eddie Izzard, every night just goes and does his show. And then for the rest of the day, like, you know, he just does his life. And then at yes. night he's going in and doing his West End going show. Going and performing and feeling like, you know, I always tell everybody it's the same thing as like watching Lucy. It's just when Ricky goes down to the club. Right. He's just going to go down and do his thing at the club. And he's going to come back and have his family and his life and do this sort of thing. But you get this big Jones out of the way every right. day of performing and being. And, and then also you can have an ordinary life. And wearing clothes. It's not at a festival. It's not you on the road. It's just no. you doing some shows. No. And then, you know, if you're a good enough band, then you're like the Roots. You get to go play Bonnaroo on the right. weekend. Yeah, you know, or you get to go do some fun corporate, or you get to go do something, or maybe you do a couple of nights somewhere else, or you go play a bunch of Beatles songs, or whatever. Like you, you can sort of make it up as you go along, but you've already sort of you've got this place where you are. I mean, it's like John Stewart. Yeah. You know, that's just that's his life. Right. He found his thing that he does, and you can have a life. Yeah. Like you can actually have a life. Yes. You can go. This is where I live, and hey, I'll come to your party on the weekend, and yeah, you know, yeah, and my kids, I'll, I'll pick up the kids from school, right? And, and I know when I get on, I know when right. I get off, and we all know what everything everything is, you know, right? Yeah. So what I'm saying is now that I want to be in a Tonight Show band. Okay, I think we'll, you know, <laughs> I learn a trom- if you can get that trombone down, dude. Get some brass. Uh, thank you so much, Greg, for being part of the podcast. Oh, I'm no, dude, going I love to it. Uh, plug some of my dates. Uh, I'm at the Soho Theatre in London from uh, May the 27th for two weeks. It's my first long run uh, in London uh, of that style. So please come on down. That would be really cool. Um, I have press in the first week, Wednesday or Thursday. If you're looking for a night to come in, I would recommend the Wednesday or Thursday. If you're sitting next to someone who has a pad, laugh out loud. Uh, I'm in Seattle uh, on uh, June the 20th to the 22nd uh, at Parlor Live. Um, so Seattle, June 20th to the 22nd. So if there's anyone in the Seattle area who wants to come and see me do stand-up, I'm doing like full sets, like, you know, 50-minute, 60-minute sets at those gigs. So, you know, like if people want to come and see me, that would be cool. And then in August, I'm in D.C., but I'll, I'll give the dates to that a little bit closer to where it is. If you like the podcast, please rate it on iTunes. Uh, if you like any of the quotes, uh, if you, particularly if you're on Tumblr, um, uh, uh, I have a Tumblr page called Where the Will Things Are. Uh, Greg, you have a Tumblr page, don't you? Is he uh, no, the monarch, the monarchs have a Tumblr page. The monarchs but I, have a Tumblr. Page. Yeah, but I have a uh, um, uh, Twitter feed at uh, Greg Barrent. And uh, if you want to tag things, Tofop quotes. Uh, the Tumblr yeah. site in particular is gold. Basically, these these people who run this, uh, uh, base, they chunk out big chunks of the show and they write it all up and they put it as sort of oh, like nice. you know little bits of dialogue. And almost. are you on SoundCloud? No, not yet. Okay, well, if you're on SoundCloud and yeah. you listen to Walking in the Room, you can just... Well, the great thing is you can listen to the show and then you can just write, write where somebody says something you, that you like. You just make a comment right there. You can comment on the audio feed. Then when people are listening to it, what they've written pops up. Are you serious? Yeah, so it could be like, you know, Dave and I say something shitty about Vampire Weekend and somebody goes, go fuck yourself, faggot. I love Vampire Weekend. You know, they can just... People can just add... 
So as the feed is running, you can then see the comment. It's genius. You SoundCloud's, know, seen SoundCloud's right. genius. I've got to get around SoundCloud. Get on SoundCloud, yeah. yeah. Get on SoundCloud. And, Plus, uh, I also want to be in Dave Grohl's SoundCloud City documentary that he makes about SoundCloud this. City is about the move from Lipson to SoundCloud. <laughs> uh, and how nobody gave a shit about Lipson. It wasn't right. sad at all. I was excited about SoundCloud. Nobody gave a shit except for Dave Grohl, who's made it into a compelling documentary. Well, and he also, he now, he bought Lipson and he owns it. So he runs Lipson and... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the Neve board at his house. He's buying all things that have ended and trying to get people psyched about them. So wait for his mo- wait for his movie about CDs and cassette tapes. <laughs> uh, Greg's uh, podcast, of course, is called uh, Walking the Room. You should listen to that. Um, I am going to. Uh, there was an episode I was on a few weeks ago where I tell the story about uh, my about dog the eating the story. Uh, Anzac Day uh, pot cookies. Uh, Lindsay Webb, who was the guy who was at my house, um, uh, the comedian whose cookies they were, uh, he and I immediately after that happened um, uh, recorded a podcast. So immediately after I had been to the vet, immediately after I'd been through that whole procedure, we sat down and we recorded a podcast. So I'll put this one up next and then after this episode... Go and listen to the Walking the Room one first because that's my reflections once, you know, we were happy and I knew everything was going to be okay. Yeah. Uh, and then have a listen to the one I'll put up next, which is going to be the, the moments after the shit had gone down. So that should be worth listening I to. I love that your instinct after something has happened is to podcast. Right. <laughs> I had just gotten a divorce and I realized I need to record what I'm thinking with a friend. I had my arm removed, and I said, get a mic in here. Let's go stumpy on this thing and make ourselves a reflective podcast on the loss of my arm. Oh, my God. You would have been great at 9-11. Look, I know the tower just went down, but who's got a mic? That was dark. That was dark. 